Gone are the days of knights and chivalry, and yet that hasn't changed God's vision of you as a man of valor. Today, pornography is a simple mouse click away, and sexual addiction is at an epidemic level. Dr. Mark Laser is an internationally known author and speaker, the leading Christian authority on sexual addiction, and the host of Faithful and True's online radio production, The Men of Valor Program. Here now is Dr. Mark Laser. Welcome to The Men of Valor Program. Uh, we're going to interrupt our normal series that we have been doing about significant books in recovery. We'll get back to that uh, in three weeks, actually, because we have a special guest next week. Two weeks well, in a row, we have special, special guests. Special guests, and in this case, very special <laughs> guests. Most of our uh, listeners are familiar with uh, Dr. Greg Miller, who is the leader of our men's workshop, and all the men who have been here for that have certainly met Greg and know Greg. Many of the men out there are working with Greg in one of his groups and so forth. And I don't know, over the last six to 12 months, I think it's been, Greg has been really excited about a research project that he's come up with, and today we're going to focus on what that is about, and uh, of course we're going to uh, wind up inviting all of you to participate. Well, and he literally just stepped off a plane from Chicago, ran in the door and into the studio uh, just to make it for today's show. So we're greatly yeah. appreciative uh, to have Greg with us. Uh, Greg, uh, good afternoon and welcome back. It is good to be here. Yes, and uh, did you literally just jump off a plane or what? I stopped at a rental car place and got a car and then drove. Then drove from <laughs> the rental car yes. place. Okay. He couldn't get the pilot to land on our roof. <laughs> That's right. He couldn't get, well, you couldn't get that helicopter. That's mm-hmm. too bad. Okay. Well, uh, why don't you start by telling us the uh, genesis of this idea? Where did this uh, come from uh, in terms of your work here at Faithful and True? And your, this is a lot more than about academic interest. This is more about your personal interest in what will be helpful to men, I think, isn't it? Absolutely. I would say that this comes from the nine years of experience of being the men's director here at Faithful and True for the workshops. And I'm hearing many men's stories and then also just in conversations with them. And there at times is a theme for many men where they would identify that they do struggle with sexual addiction or sexual compulsivity And yet what they would also say is that as they look at their story and they look at their experiences, it just wasn't that bad. And they're not minimizing their experience. There's just some truth to that. And so they they don't fully understand where the addiction energy is coming from. And so in talking to the men, I began to see that there were some other correlations. And one of the most significant was um, exposure to Internet pornography At a young age, and one of the things I'm aware of is part of the chaos and the danger of internet pornography is in your first exposure, you can see some of the most graphic and most explicit pornography, so there really is no ramp up, and so it can create a significant amount of chaos for a child. So part of the the goal of the research project is to really begin to explore and to understand what are the implications for both men and women when they are exposed to pornography through the internet at a young age and how that plays out for them later in life so that we can really acknowledge that as a factor in the um, genesis of the addiction. Well, you know, we've always said, I think that the internet is the escalator. It's the one that's turned this into a tsunami. Uh, But you're right, in terms of the early days, we always thought that uh, the men coming to the workshop had you know, highly significant invasion experiences with sexual abuse and emotional abuse and physical abuse. And uh, the Internet has changed that, I mm-hmm. think. Uh, well, and I would, I would even say that maybe through the research, what we're going to be able to identify is that 
exposure to internet pornography as a child is sexual abuse. Right. And so it may give us new language to be able to help men to understand the significance of being exposed at a young age. That it is incredibly abusive, uh, both sexually, I think, and emotionally, and even spiritually. And I think you're right. I mean, when they stumble across this stuff, which is often the case early on, uh, they stumble on it at a very high level of of graphic nature of mm-hmm. it. So, so that that was kind of your original idea, and uh, I, I believe. And mm-hmm. uh, you've spent a lot of time creating a questionnaire, have you not? So Absolutely. Why don't you describe that process? Well, um, in working with some uh, professional researchers as well as gathering a community um, around me, I've really tried to identify what are the aspects of life that we should be looking at, that we should be asking about. Um, One of the things that you and I have talked about a lot is to seek to understand, is there a difference in addiction energy if um, a person uh, experiences significant invasion versus abandonment? So in the questionnaire, there are some questions that help us to distinguish between invasion uh, trauma or abandonment trauma. And we also, one of the things that um, I'm interested in is what I refer to as a performance-based faith. Um, Uh One of the things that um, I see is the traditional addiction model focuses on trauma as the source or woundedness. And then from the woundedness, there is the shame that is created. And then fantasy becomes the way that we exit the shame. We medicate it. Right. And so one of the factors that I think can be a partner is if a child grows up in a tradition, a faith tradition, that really is very performance-based. There's a lot of reward for good behavior. There's consequences for bad behavior. They, they may have even saw experiences where people were excluded because of behavior. I think that type of experience combined with the exposure to pornography can intensify the shame. It's like an accelerator that intensifies the shame. So one of the things that we're going to be looking at and trying to evaluate is the level of performance-based faith a person experienced both as a child and then also currently. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think that one of the things the survey is going to get at is the fact that a lot of these men who come from what they perceive are normal families. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not judgmental here, as I think everyone knows about families, but uh, they could be families that were rel- relatively tame, quiet, unchaotic, mm-hmm. all of that. But the dynamic that may be just as uh, generative or harmful to the men is that they weren't getting their basic desires. Mm -hmm. They were getting neglected or abandoned in some way. So I think that's going to be a powerful thing that comes out of this. Now, I think it's really fascinating what you're measuring here in terms of performance-based faith. So Mm -hmm. you and I grew up in uh, two pretty widely separate religious traditions. Right. I grew up in a very liberal one, uh, although my father was a Christ follower. There's no doubt about it. But we were in a denomination that I think widely would be considered as virtually today almost Unitarian. Mm. So it was very liberal, very accepting, very tolerant uh, of just about every kind of crazy behavior you could think of, where you, on the other hand, grew up in a denomination that that tended to be more on that black and white side. You either had faith or you didn't, and uh, faith would uh, result in performance. So, you know, I was never challenged, for example, to memorize scripture. I was never challenged to go out and witness. I you know, any of those kinds of things. Uh, I, uh, the only thing I was ever measured on was Sunday school attendance. Right. <laughs> and I had, you know, my Sunday school pens, but, you know, 
given the fact that I was a PK, I was pretty much always going to be at church. So that didn't feel like any kind of self-accomplishment. I was just you know, obeying the law. So say a little bit more about performance-based, because uh, well, I think we need, to, we need to clarify that for the average listener. I think um, some of the questions that we talk about, was there a reward system? So um, if you did certain things, was that acknowledged? Um, did you get a star on the chart if things um, you accomplished certain goals? Um, and, and I think a lot of it was kind of the energy of acceptance or rejection. Yeah. Did you grow up in a tradition where um, people were rejected because of their beliefs or their behaviors? Mm-hmm. Um, was there an undercurrent of fear of something that was different from you? Mm-hmm. Was there a chaos that was created if someone maybe approached it from a different perspective? You know, one of the ways to examine it was, was there a clear definition, definition of what made it possible, possible to be in or to be out, yeah, um, to it's be kind saved of or not yeah saved. that either or you're either in in the group and with us or you're outside of the group and against us. Right. And so what happens for the child is they begin to recognize that certain behaviors are acceptable, and certain things are are good, others are bad. Mm-hmm. And if it's not a safe environment, where um, one of the questions is around the idea: Did you experience a lot of criticism from the church? Mm-hmm. Um, was it a church where um, either Outwardly or inwardly, there was a culture of gossip where people's choices and behaviors were talked about. Right. What, what happens for the child, I think, in those environments is they get a clear understanding of this is the way I'm supposed to behave. This is the way I'm not supposed to behave. So I'm going to start focusing on my good behaviors. I'm going to start focusing on the behaviors that others will judge as negative. Right. And for those men and women that grew up in that experience, and they were exposed to pornography, and that wasn't something that the church was talking about, it makes perfect sense that that creates a sense of chaos, that there's no way I could bring this to the church and talk about it to somebody there, because they wouldn't yeah, understand They it. wouldn't understand it, and I'd be rejected and perhaps excluded. I'm just getting triggered to think about a conversation we had in our 3 o'clock men's counseling group, which is meeting right after we're recording this today. And it was a, it was a very deep and and sincere conversation about one of the guys asking, am I truly saved? How do I know that I am truly saved? I felt like I made a declaration, a uh, uh, going forward, uh, getting baptized, uh, you know, those kinds of things. But I'm, I'm not sure uh, today, because of all my behaviors, that I'm truly saved. And he was very emotional about mm-hmm. it and had a lot of messages inside him. And I think it does come from one of these performance-based mm-hmm. churches that he grew up in. Right. Well, one of the, the interesting dynamics is a lot of the men that I work with, they have a core belief or they have a faith experience that would say they do believe in God's grace, but they believe that God's grace is enough for everybody but them. Right. Or even the tradition that they grew up, there could have been a, a subtle message, an indirect message that there are certain choices or behaviors that if someone chooses those, they would be outside of grace. Now, it's not said that clearly, but it's said more subtly in the reactions that people can have to certain behaviors. Um, At this point, Mark, I think this is a good spot for us to take our break. Uh, And when we come back, we'll continue to hear uh, Dr. Greg Miller as he is explaining to us this exciting new research that he is involved in. You are listening to Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller, and this is the Men of Valor program. 
Do you struggle with the use of pornography? Faithful and True is a Christian-based counseling center specializing in the treatment of sexual addiction and compulsive behavior issues. Our well-trained staff has the highest levels of clinical expertise combined with personal experience to understand and effectively treat your sexual addiction. We have a proven track record for helping men who are seeking a transformation in their lives. Our Men of Valor three-day intensive workshops, led by Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller, are the most effective and affordable treatment program in the country. Our workshop alumni rate our workshops as life-changing. We also offer workshops for spouses and couples. If you're ready to make a change in your life, and are seeking a treatment program provided by the top Christian experts in the sexual addiction field, visit us today at faithfulandtrue.com to learn more. That's faithfulandtrue.com. Don't be sad don't explain. This is where we start again. Time now for the Trigger of the Week. I have a Trigger of the Week, and it is, uh, I was kind of laughing about this driving over here today, because I go back to the 50s in the movies with Annette Funicello, and uh, what was the guy's name that was in there? Frankie Avalon. Frankie Avalon, thank you. <laughs> All old guys sit on this side of the desk. <laughs> well, well, and I know that she was an original Musketeer. Yes, she, she was. was. She was. So those of us whose sexual addiction started early uh, as mine did, started lusting after Annette very early on. But then in her teenage years, she appeared in a series of movies that were kind of the beach blanket bingo bingo movies. <laughs> and uh, that when you look at it today, I mean, the swimsuits were fairly tame. Yeah, very tame. Uh, but the trigger of the week today is, Turtle the, neck. is, the, is the, current, <laughs> the current version of the beach bunny. And uh, several of the men were talking about trying to run around, run around one of our lakes here in Minnesota, and just seeing all the bikini-clad women, and it was just hard to do their exercise program. So beach bunnies, that's an old term, beach uh-huh. bunnies. I hope I'm not being too respectful and I'm not getting in trouble with the wives out there. Oh, we'll find out. <laughs> we'll find Well, I'll, hopefully you know, wives, I'm talking about women that I consider would be inappropriately, immodestly dressed out there on the beach. So uh, that's my trigger of the week. Okay. That it's, sounds... it's been hot here, so... It's been more prevalent. It certainly has, and there's been a lot of uh, a lot of uh, beach bunnies on display on our area lakes. Yes, and then you stop and realize that Minnesota is the land of ten thousand ten thousand lakes. So we're we're kind of inundated with uh, this uh, syndrome at the moment. Let's return our listeners, uh, Mark and Greg, to today's show. And uh, Greg, uh, you were talking as we went into the break. Yeah. So, kind of the idea is. Um, Traditionally, the addiction model would say, 
most people who struggle with addiction would have trauma at a level eight or nine out of 10. Mm -hmm. uh, many of the guys who come through our workshop would say, no, mine is like at a three or a four, you know, because one of the things that we teach here at the workshop is it's not, were you invaded or were you abandoned? It's the acceptance that everybody experiences invasion. Everybody experiences abandonment. It's to, to what extent? And so um, one of the things that we also want to look at is what are the implications of having been exposed to internet porn as a child or an adolescent? And so there are two things that we're going to be looking at. And one is, does um, being exposed to internet porn increase experimentation around children? Because one of the things I see in working in men and was also um, true in my own story is this idea that experimentation intensifies shame. And so um, I may not have had significant invasion or abandonment from my family, but if I was exposed to internet porn and then I had some experiences of experimentation with other children, that is a, a factor that can intensify um, shame. So we're wanting to look at if I've been exposed to internet porn, does that increase the possibility of the experimentation? And then the other thing that we're wanting to see is if I'm exposed to internet porn as a child or an adolescent. Uh, does it intensify the sexualization of my identity? And do I start to develop more of a comparison-based identity? One of the things I see in the internet is we are given a standard of attractiveness. We are given a standard of beauty. And that's not necessarily something new, Mark. You were talking about the 50s and yeah. Annette Funicello. Yeah. Historically, there's always been that, the, that group of people that we perceive as attractive and handsome and beautiful but there was a wider range of what you could be and be attractive. You know, if you look back, um, you could be anything from Marilyn Monroe to Aubrey Hepburn um, to Doris Day. There was this wide range. Now, she, of, now there was a hot one. Right. So there was a wide range. And <laughs> there was serious. A, <laughs> I, she was. <laughs> so there was a trigger there. Um, so there's this wide range of acceptable beauty. And so women could look at that and, and see, okay, yeah. I, I fit into the continuum. Yeah. But I think what has happened with the Internet is there's been such a standardization of beauty and that standardization has been sexualized in such a way um, that one of the things that we're going to be um, studying is if I'm exposed to Internet porn as a child or an adolescent, does it change the way that I view this my own gender as well as the opposite sex so that now the greatest criteria of value is whether or not I am sexy. And then I even have a very narrow understanding of what sexiness is. Yeah. I, I think every generation has had their, I think back to the greatest generation, the World War II generations, the Betty Grable uh, image and that kind of thing, the Mae West stuff and all that. My father and I remember and even had a pinup girl painted on his airplane that he flew in the war. And, you know, when I talked to him about it, he said, oh, that, that was my caricature of... Uh, of mom, you know, in other words, my mother-in-law. And I said, it sure as heck looked like that Betty Grable poster to me. <laughs> but uh, whatever, I think the GIs were doing that kind of stuff. It was promoted during the war, and they were away from home, away from their families, away from their girlfriends, and that and makes a, a lot of sense. Morale boosters. Morale other... boosters in the face of death. So tell us a little bit now about what you need in order to advance this uh, research of yours. Well, what we're hoping for is somewhere between 500 to 1,000 of the surveys completed. And one of the things that we need is um, the surveys to be completed. We've seen that it takes about 30, 35 minutes to do it. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that you can do on your smartphone. It's something that you could do on your computer. 
Um, and just to be able to take some time to be able to complete the survey. Mm-hmm. The focus of the survey is for people who are between the ages of 20 and 35. And I've gotten some emails from some people about why do we choose that age group? Because um, you can be older and struggling with internet pornography. And what I try to explain is the survey or the research project is really about the internet and how it impacts others. And so we're wanting to target on an age group of people where the internet was really coming to life um, during their adolescence. Well, it's more likely that their adolescence was during the internet age. Exactly. And one of the things I think we're going to see, because we do ask people what year they were born, is that there's even going to be a difference between the generation of people from 20 to 25 Mm -hmm. versus those who are 30 to 35 based upon, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the questions that we ask is, when did internet come into your home? Right. Well, a lot of those between 20 and 25 don't ever remember internet not being in their home. Right. And we also ask, what age were you when you got a smartphone? And I think that there's a significant difference between getting a smartphone in junior high versus being a college senior. And so those are some of the things that we're going to be looking at. Yeah, I've certainly noticed that with my own grandchildren, that I have teenage grandchildren now, and they all got smartphones pretty much when they were 12. And sure enough, I mean, uh, both of my grandsons have come to me and talked to me about what they have been able to find on their smartphones. Mm-hmm. And one, one of the factors I think is significant is this idea of um, most of us, and I'd, I'd like to say 100% because I think that that is true, most children, when they come across pornography, they weren't looking for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of the principles that we talk about here at Faithful and True is that sexual addiction chose us. Right. And then at some point we chose it back because as a child, you're not looking for it, but you're exposed to it. And it's what happens in that exposure. Am I alone with that? Am I filled with shame? Do I talk to other people about it? And so what we're wanting to understand is not just how has it um, shaped and formed them, but what is the way that it's played out in their addiction in some of the invasion aspects of Internet pornography? Right, right. Well, I think it's a a great uh, project, and I, I do think through our email list, our listenership, we should be able to get you that thousand, I would think. Or Well, I was going to interject the the thought, Mark, that uh, Greg did us the huge favor of providing uh, an explanation of this project uh, in our feature article of, in the July uh, recovery report, which is Faithful and True's monthly uh, newsletter. And we did put the link in there, too. At the bottom of your uh, article was a link to the survey. And now... Uh, in uh, if you will go to faithfulandtrue.com, our website, under the category, under the page of resources, right on the main page for resources, if you scan down just in the top third of the page, you'll see a link to your survey. And we invite our listeners, as they're hearing Greg today, to visit faithfulandtrue.com, go to resources, go to that link and, and, uh, link and help us out by fulfilling uh, the requirements of that survey. Mm-hmm. One of the questions I've been getting is, you know, is there a time frame? And what I would mm-hmm. say, the time frame is based on the number of replies we get to the survey that, that I'm not hoping to be done by a particular time. We're actually going to wait until mm-hmm. on the survey, we have the number that we need. And so if you're listening today, what I would say is if you're between the ages of 20 and 35, either male or female, because we absolutely want women to fill out the survey too, Um, that you would take the time to fill out the survey. 
Um, if you have a, a group that you lead, if there are people that you're responsible for, that you would be in, willing to invite them to participate. Um, and then also just to pray. We do feel like there's something significant that can come from this as we understand the issue. And kind of the thing that we talk about here at Faithful and True is organizing our resources in such a way that we can be the most effective in helping people get free. And we're hoping that the information that we get from this research project will make it possible for us to do that. So well, in, we, other words, in other words, our men's workshops, our, our counseling with individuals and in groups will be informed by this. Mm -hmm. So we will know what are the deeper issues that we need to go after. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And Greg, we've got groups around the country that listen to the show. We've been just really, really grateful and pleased by the growing audience that we have out there. And uh, just knowing that I loved your idea of these groups, these purity groups that are using the Faithful and True Workbook as a guide, that kind of thing, uh, would go back to the, the website and go to that link uh, because uh, we have... You know, we've got some very strong groups in various states of, mm -hmm. of the country. I know that we've got a fantastic one down uh, in Florida, and they contribute to the show all the time with triggers of the week mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And that's our friend Joe, and uh, and uh, he he knows uh, that I'm speaking of him and his great group down there. We invite them to uh, to take the survey. That Absolutely. would be great. Absolutely. When, and you ain't in the Iowa guys. And that's get, right. Get in on this. That's right. One other thing I would say is um, Faithful and True has a network of working with. Um, colleges and universities and seminaries. And I've heard from some people that have responsibilities and they're kind of wanting to know, um, can they include their students in this and the people that they teach? And the, the answer is absolutely. And even though you may not be back in session until the fall, my sense is we will continue to be accepting um, surveys through the fall. So if you have responsibility, if you're a teacher or a dean and you can promote the survey, we would greatly appreciate that. Well, that sounds great. I Ma think you're going to get more than a thousand. I really do. So. Yeah, I do. I do too. Uh, once uh, the uh, the news gets out that uh, we need participants, uh, I think we'll see plenty of those surveys coming in. Uh, Greg, this is fantastic. We've really enjoyed having you on the show uh, again today. And uh, Mark, any closing thoughts from you as you're as sharing pearls of wisdom as usual? Well, I think about you know one of the main themes of it. It's it's this idea of this shame from the. Uh, performance-based religion. So I, I really want to speak out to those of you that struggle with shame and wonder if you're saved and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, please uh, know that you are, and uh, I don't care what you've done. Yeah, there's nothing that separates us from the love of Christ. So this survey is going to go a long way toward helping all of us help those people. And I think one last thing I think, and I'm not sure you mentioned it, but uh, I think it's important to say that everything about this is anonymous. There's no way... And any, confidential. Any of your surveys will be used in ways uh, to identify you. Right. When, as you go to the survey, you're going to see a disclaimer that um, you can agree to. And one of the things we clearly communicate is that um, there is no attempt to identify who it is that has taken the survey. So I'm glad that you said that, Mark, that it is anonymous. The other thing I would add is anyone can take this. This isn't just for people of faith. But if you have friends and coworkers who would define themselves outside of the faith experience, we would love for them to participate because the more diversity that we have in the research study, I think the more clarifying and helpful the information will be. That's a great point. That's for sure. Well, you have been listening to Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller. I'm Randy Everett, your co-host, and we thank you for joining us again today on the Men of Valor program. We hope that this coming week for you will be a week filled with many blessings and great vision. 
You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at FaithfulandTrue.com. That's FaithfulandTrue.com.